This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. I mentioned earlier, he's batting third tonight as the designated hitter on fire since the All-Star break, which is great because Glaber Torres, even before this, was and is the Yankees' most valuable trade chip. And the Yankees still, especially at Peraza, and it's still too early to tell, uh, if they give Peraza as long a leash as they've given Volpe, then he should be up for the rest of the season. The problem is, can you give two guys in your infield that long of a leash if neither one of them are producing? Peraza, it's a very small sample size right now, a 182 batting average and a 562 OPS. Very small sample size. But, you know, Peraza for the last two or three years was 1B to Volpe's 1A or 1A to Volpe's 1B, if you will. So the Yankees still, even without Josh Donaldson, they still have kind of a, a potential glut on the infield. Case in point, Glaber Torres is the designated hitter tonight because Peraza's playing second, LeMayhew's at third, Rizzo's at first, and of course Anthony Volpe is at shortstop tonight. But if you can spin Torres off, because I, I don't see a scenario with the Yankees with their with their um, payroll where it is and with their roster construction the way it is. And frankly, Torres, he's a fine major league player. He really is. Statistically, he's he's probably slightly above average. In, in fielding, he's right at average, if not slightly below. In hitting, he's slightly above average. And he has been for the last three or four years. And, and frankly, that's a disappointment considering what he was supposed to be and considering what he was the first two years when his season began. He came up 21 years old, the top prospect in baseball in 2018. And those first two years, he was an all-star. And his second year, he had 38 home runs. And I know 14 of them, I think, came against the Baltimore Orioles, who were really bad that year. But 38 home runs for a 22-year-old second baseman. My goodness, the future looked bright for this guy. And he was on all of these lists, like youngest Yankee or only Yankees to have this many home runs uh, at the age of 22 were DiMaggio, Mantle, and Glaber. And I think another one, only Yankees to reach two All-Star games by the age of 22, DiMaggio, Mantle, and Glaber Torres. And since then, he just hasn't been the same guy. So that's disappointing. He's still, he's productive. 264. Batting average. That home run tonight was his 15th. He's knocked in 40 runs. His OPS is right around the major league average. It's 766. It's above the major league average. I think the major league average is in the 740, 750 range. But, you know, he wasn't supposed to be a guy who was slightly above average. You know, he's supposed to be a star for years to come. So he's their biggest trade chip if they want more pitching, if they want to get younger. There would be and should be, I would think, a market for Glaber Torres. And he's also played in big games and performed in big games, too. All right, let's go back to the phones. Limo driver Ed is where else? He's in the limo. Ed, what's going on? What's going on, buddy? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Ah, long day, man. Long day. Especially trying to get to JFK as a joke. Coming from Pennsylvania. Oh, my God. It was crazy. But we got it, there. It, it's not fun coming from anywhere, Ed. No, no, it's not. But it's all right, man. I'm used to all these years. But listen, on the, on my Jets, you know, you, you, and I tell a lot of people, you, you got to realize that the defense at the end of the year was beat. You know, that three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out by the offense was just killing us. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. if it only one game that we needed just to get into the playoffs and we couldn't, 
games that we lost coming down the stretch, those seven games, we was losing by a couple of points. So it wasn't like, you know, now you have a quarterback. Rodgers ain't going to give you that three and out all the time, and especially with the offensive team that we have. It's no reason. And the weapons on the outside, finally we got that. You know, and, and run back that we do have. I mean, I know we got a tough schedule. You know, and I know we're on hard knocks, and I know we're on everything. And I know, you know, how everything is. I think we're going to have, after all these years, man, I've been waiting since 1968, 69, all right? I was five years old. My dad used to take me to the game. I was a season ticket holder until the new stadium was built. I refused to pay all that PFL and all that kind of stuff coming from PA. But now I just went and got, you know, um, I just went and got my tickets not too long ago when tickets went on sale. Um, I can't wait. To, I can't wait, man. I'm, I'm looking to go to um, uh, Las Vegas. I mean, I'm ready. And, and you've got to have be positive. You know, we've been waiting a long time, man. It's over 55 years, something like that. Crazy. 55 you know, but we years. finally all these years. Yeah, we've been waiting for And we finally got a quarterback. I don't know why everybody's so down on us because, listen, well, no. Well, I don't think sports? anybody. I don't think people are down on the Jets, Ed. Who, who, who's down on the Jets right now? No, because everybody's like, you better win, you better win. You know, well, you know. I mean, they just think that this kind of team that we got. I mean, it's a good team that the Jets finally, man, put together. This is going to be a very good defense, and everybody, Quentin. And the, I, I'm just a little upset we lost the guy Clark. Safety. I don't know how he got hurt, but I guess he ruptured his Achilles or something. Um, but listen, I, I just want us to win, man. It's just we got two years. I don't know where we're going to go from then and what quarterback we're going to have, you know. But we got two years, man. We we got two years to use Rodgers. I, I never seen Rodgers do what he do. He gets to New York. He's happy. He's part. You're not part, but you know he's out in town. This guy never did nothing in Green Bay. It was nothing to do. It's a dead place. You know, he gets to New York and he's out here. But I tell you one thing, he's ready to go. He was in practice. He's doing the, uh, you know, the uh, preseason, everything. He's there. He's you there. Know, uh, he, no, it, it, he's it, there. What you're saying, Ed, and thanks for the call, is this. That's that's really kind of that's what it should be about right now for lifelong Jets fans. And that's what it is for the most part. Because you can really like think about any number of possibilities. Because... I think he said the Jets have built a good team. The Jets are a good team. The Jets were a good team last year. They were an above-average defense. They had above-average players at running back, at wide receiver. The offensive line was and continues to be a work in progress. But a lot of that offensive line deficiencies in those areas can be masked by the presence of Aaron Rodgers. So now you take a team that was a good team, they built a good team in New York, and now you have added a great quarterback. Tommy Canely, as the Yankees' bullpen continues to spring more leaks, gives up a solo home run. Michael Massey has two home runs today and six on the season. So it's uh, it's 5-4 to four now in the top of the eighth inning. Yankees are... Struggling to get to the finish line against the lowly Kansas City Royals. I'll tell you, if they if they blow this game tonight. Uh, so, Julian, are you, are you watching this Yankees game right now? Yes. Did you see what they just put on this guy, Massey, who hit the home run? I did not. They have, you know how these teams have, like, they all got, like, headgear and 
jackets and blazers and yeah, yeah, yeah. The Royals have one. I mean, shouldn't there be like a a winning percentage limit for a team to have one of those things? I mean, the Royals are twenty eight and seventy. They're historically bad. Do they really need to put a helmet on a guy who hits a home run? Am I just old man shouting at the grass right now? You might be there. <laughs> I mean, I get your point, though. I mean, come on, man. You're 28 and 70. You're losing this game, and I got to look, and there's a freaking guy with six home runs this season walking around with some sort of, like, armor on his head in the Royals' dugout. Jeez. So it's 5-4. to four. Mets are still in the rain delay at 4-3. Uh, at to three. But for the Jets, you to back, go back to, to the Jets con part of the conversation, I mean, those are the, the biggest variables, like I pointed out last hour, are the other teams, specifically the other quarterbacks in the AFC, and the early season schedule. But you know what? With another year of development for your young stars – and and the other thing that we haven't spoken about, and I know everybody likes to talk about hard knocks because it's a it's a good show and it's a popular show. And the last time the Jets were on hard knocks, which has no bearing on this time, by the way, and it was 13 years ago. The last time the Jets were on hard knocks, everybody likes to say, "Oh, the Jets uh, let that distract them. It was bad for the team. The Darrell Revis contract situation played out on hard knocks that year. The Jets opened up on." Monday Night Football, I forget who they were playing, maybe the Raiders, and Gruden was on the call in the booth, and he was making fun of the Jets the entire game. They lost the season opener, and Gruden's making fun of them the entire game because every time somebody hit the Jets or tackled the Jets, Gruden would be like, well, that was a hard knock right there. I mean, it was really clever by, uh, by John Gruden. And everybody loved to jump on the fact that the Jets were, you know, full of themselves after one trip to the AFC Championship game. And all of a sudden, they they were the ones seeking out hard knocks. And they were brash. I mean, their head coach was brash. And their players were brash. You know, guys like Braylon Edwards and Bart Scott. And, you know, those were Darrell Revis. Well, Revis wasn't that brash. He was pretty quiet. But those were guys who were in the NFL and successful for a long time. So, yeah, they were brash. And everybody liked to say that that distracted them. They lost the first game. They went 11-4 and from that point on. And they didn't win the division because the Patriots were in their division. But they beat the Patriots in the playoffs to go to the AFC Championship game. So that didn't distract them. It's just a, it's something to say. It's something to analyze. It's just a storyline. And then the other thing is, it's the Jets. And we deal with this with the Knicks a lot. There's still people in this town that roll their eyes and say, same old Knicks. But if you look at the Knicks over the last three years, what are they? They're a team that's gone to the playoffs twice. They finished above 500 twice. They've been a top five team in the Eastern Conference twice. And then this year, they went to the second round of the playoffs. But it's almost like if you're one of those teams that has that stigma, the Knicks, the Jets, the Mets. Those are the first three in this town that come to mind. If you're one of those teams that has that stigma, you know, you've got to almost do extra to have people buy in. Look at the Giants, for example. The Giants were every bit the disgrace that the Jets were for a five-year period, probably more so. The Giants actually, for the five years leading into last year, were more dysfunctional than the Jets were. As the Jets weren't 
overly dysfunctional during those five years. They were just bad. The Giants were just as bad, and they were dysfunctional on top of it. The Giants had one good year. You get a guy in who's got a quick sense of humor and is kind of like an everyman in Brian Dayball. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, it turns out he can coach, too. And he's got confidence and he's got swagger. And when we're in all these close games, he doesn't lose his head. And he is a huge advantage in most cases over his counterpart on the other team. And that leads to a 10-6-1 record. And that leads to a playoff win. And now all of a sudden, everybody's bought in on the Giants. The Giants were just as bad as the Jets. The Giants last year... I want to look at the point differential last year between the Giants and the Jets because I bet it was very close. The Giants won those close games, and the Jets didn't win those close games. And it was as simple as that. Let me see. Jets point differential last year, minus 20. Giants point differential last year, minus 6. There you go. 9-7-1. Excuse me. I gave the Giants an extra win. Minus, minus 6 point differential for the Giants. Minus 20 point differential for the Jets. Over the course of 17 weeks, that is a difference of less than a point per game between the Jets and the Giants. So what was the difference? The difference was competent coaching helped the Giants win those close games. And I'm not saying that Robert Sala was directly responsible for the Jets losing those close games, but he certainly didn't put them over the edge. But more than Sala, it was the quarterback play. That was the difference for the Jets last year. But this is a long-winded way of saying that people are still not buying in on the Jets. When if you look at the season that the Jets had last year and the season the Giants had last year, they were very, very close in what they did. Except the Giants won the close games, the Jets lost. The Giants got into the playoffs, the Jets missed it. And when the Giants got into the playoffs, they won one more close game to get to the second round of the playoffs. So now everybody is bought in. The Giants are fine. The Giants are back to being the Giants, and the Jets need to show you a lot more. The Jets are going to have a better season than the Giants, folks. If they don't, I'll be shocked. Shocked. If the Giants have a better season than the Jets, one of the reasons will be that the Jets do not have the right head coach because he hasn't proven himself yet. Another reason will be I just look at the NFC, and I don't see a lot of teams outside of the Eagles who scare me. The 49ers are a terrific team. I have no idea who's playing quarterback. The Seahawks are a team on the rise. You know, they had a surprisingly good year last year and got into the playoffs, and they're set up for the future because of the Russell Wilson trade. I know Geno Smith had an awesome season last year, and I know that people love to compare Geno Smith to... Daniel Jones and look at nothing more than their touchdown passes and say, why did Daniel Jones get more money than Geno Smith? Well, one of the big reasons is because Daniel Jones is in his mid-20s and Geno Smith is in his 30s. So you could start there. But I'm not convinced that Geno Smith's going to have the same season for Seattle next year. Are the Rams going to bounce back? I don't think so. The Cardinals are an absolute mess. Who in the NFC South scares you? Which of those quarterbacks? The Saints with Derek Carr? The Buccaneers with Kyle Trask? The Panthers with Bryce Young? The Falcons with Desmond Ritter? I mean, the Bears could improve, but they went 3-14 and 14 last year. How much are they going to improve? The Packers, you lose Aaron Rodgers. We'll see what Jordan Love looks like. 
The Lions are a team on the rise. The Vikings, you figure, are going to take a step back. They won a million close games last year. The Vikings, by the way, you talk about point differential. The Vikings last year went 13-4 and with a negative three-point differential. Remember, they lost that one game to the Cowboys by, like, 40 points, and that destroyed their point differential. But imagine that. That's almost mathematically impossible. Go 13-4 and and have a negative point differential. And then that leaves the Eagles and the Cowboys. The Cowboys do not scare me. Dak Press, any team, I shouldn't say any, all right? That team with Dak Prescott as its quarterback does not scare me. So overall, I think the Jets are going to have a better season than the Giants. The only way that doesn't happen is if they got the wrong guy in the head coaching position and or the Giants just, I know they have a tough schedule because they play the NFC East and they play the AFC East, and those are the two toughest divisions in the NFL. But as far as the teams they're competing with for those wild card spots. And I'm not even focusing on the division for the Giants because I think the Eagles are going to run away with it. So you have three wild card spots, right? So Dallas, Minnesota, or Detroit, somebody from the NFC South, the Seahawks, the Rams, like the Giants are going to be right there. People have already bought in on the Giants because they're the Giants and historically, at least over the last 25 to 30 years, people aren't ingrained to think that the Giants are a clown show. Over the last 25 or 30 years, and probably more than that, people are ingrained to think that the Jets are, just like people are ingrained to think that the Knicks are. And it takes those franchises longer to lose that reputation, to lose that stain, than it does the teams like the Yankees or the Giants the teams that have done it for a longer period of time. The Jets are going to have to go out and do it before people buy completely in. I fully, fully expect them to do that this year. It's Pat O'Keefe in for Grasso, 1-800-919-3776. Want to touch on the Saquon situation and where that leaves the Giants right now as they are now three or four days from reporting to training camp themselves. Taking up until 10 o'clock, Ty Butler coming up next. Uh, after that, excuse me, at uh, 10 o'clock here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Dan Grossa Show on 98.7 ESPN. And again, it's a one-run game. Yankees have had chances to put this game out of reach. Uh, Billy McKinney's three-run home run gave him a 4-3 to three lead, and then Glaber Torres made it 5-3, to three, and that was in the fifth inning. And the Yankees just stopped scoring after that. So now they have to hang on for dear life against the second-worst team in all of baseball and hope for the best, now with one out. Um, are the Mets still delayed in Boston? As I uh, check that out. Yeah, they are. They're still in a rain delay in the bottom of the fourth inning. So it's it's been a while. It's been over an hour, I think, at this point. Kodai Senga started, went three and a third innings and gave up three runs. Mets lead the game four to three. Uh, be surprised if Sanga comes back out, which, you know, that's the last thing the Mets need right now because the biggest weak spot on that team is their bullpen. And now you're going to ask the Mets in a game that they have to win. Now you're going to ask the Mets to get five and two-thirds innings out of their bullpen. It's a tall order against the Red Sox lineup. That Look, the Red Sox don't have the best pitching in the world. They don't have the best fielding in the world. The Red Sox can hit. So if that game does resume, the Mets are going to have their work cut out for them. Meanwhile, the Royals steal second. They have the uh, go ahead, excuse me, the tying run on second base with one out here in the top of the ninth inning. As far as the the Giants go and the Saquon Barkley you know deadline, which now we're we're four days since that has come and gone. 
on Monday afternoon. And I made this point earlier in the week, but I just want to revisit it, that a couple things coming out of this that you learn about where the Giants are right now, and I heard Don LaGreca mention this on the K-Show earlier today, it, it, and I couldn't agree more. It leaves no question in my mind that this is Joe Shane's team. And, and I think ultimately this is what, this is what John Mara wanted. And it takes a lot for an owner, especially an owner who has had the success of John Mara. You know, he was the guy for Super Bowl 42 and Super Bowl 46, the greatest Super Bowl upset in NFL history when they beat the 18-0 Patriots. This is not an owner who has not seen his team have the ultimate success on his watch. But whatever reason, after they won Super Bowl 46, things went completely sour, and he hired the wrong guy after the wrong guy. You know, Jerry Reese, who had the magic touch early in his tenure as GM, all of a sudden his draft picks weren't panning out, and they moved on from him, and they went in the direction of Dave Gettleman, which turned out to be still a disaster, okay? Don't get me wrong. I know the Saquon pick has aged better than it originally looked, although they're in a real situation now regarding him. The Daniel Jones pick has certainly aged well. The Dexter Lawrence pick... Gettleman's draft picks, for the most part, that's where his background was in scouting. His draft picks, a lot of them were solid to good. But it was his management of the finances and the salary cap and the allocation of resources where he was a disaster. So Mara hires him. He was the wrong guy. He hires, you know, they force Coughlin out. And Coughlin was not only a winner, but he was a culture setter. Could you have made the argument that it was time for him to move on after three consecutive losing seasons? Absolutely, you could have. But you, they jumped at the chance to hire Ben McAdoo, and they were really hoodwinked into that because I think the Eagles sent out word that they wanted to hire McAdoo, and the Giants didn't want to lose their hot, young offensive coordinator, so they hired him, and he had no control. And then they hired Pat Shermer after firing McAdoo in his second season, and Shermer was incompetence personified and then you hire Joe Judge who showed some signs early we know the whole thing right we don't need to go through the whole history I went through almost all of it anyway the point is John Mara just he lost his way in terms of you know hiring the key people in his organization so he went completely outside of everything desperate times call for desperate measures and that led him to Joe Shane which led them to Brian Dayball and a year and a half into that partnership, it seems to be an absolute home run. And it seems also, and this is the biggest indication of that, the fact that the Giants did not cave into Saquon Barkley's demands. A line drive to second, a dive at second that almost ended the game on a double play by Oswald Peraza, but the runner gets back. Boy, that was a line drive ticketed to center field to tie the game but it was hit right at Peraza. So the Yankees are one out away from squeaking out a victory against the second-worst team in Major League Baseball. But back to Joe Shane and John Mara. Um, desperate times led him to Joe Shane, and Mara seems like he hired somebody from the outside for this very reason, right? You have to take emotion out of it. You have to take sentiment out of it, and Joe Shane did exactly that. Now the question becomes regarding Saquon Barkley. Did he 
take too much of the sentiment out of it? Was he too strictly, you know, black and white, bottom line, this is a business, this is the money that I'm willing to pay somebody at this position, and I'm not going any higher than that. Not because he's a Pro Bowl caliber player, not because he's a leader in the locker room, not because he's a model citizen off the field, not because he's the face of our franchise. That, that None of that plays into this. This is strictly a business decision, and that appears to be the path that Joe Shane has taken. And Joe Shane now finds himself in the spotlight in the aftermath of this Barkley thing. We pretty much know what Barkley's going to do. I'd be shocked if it played out any other way than Barkley reporting to the Giants a week or two weeks before the season began um, and getting his full allotment of his $10.1 million salary this year and playing on that franchise tag. Because the only other option for Barkley is to forfeit money. And I just, I can't under any circumstances think how that would benefit Saquon in the long run. I understood his, wow, the Yankees just got uh, got hosed here. There was a tag out at third base to end the game. It's clear as anything on the replay. And the third base umpire called the runner safe. And the Yankees had just used their challenge and lost earlier this inning on a close play at second base on a stolen base. So the Yankees can't challenge this, which means, oh, they are going to review it. And they did review it. I guess the umpires can overrule when it's that blatant. So the game's over. And it was a real heads-up play by Anthony Volpe because the ball was in the hole and he dove and he stopped it and he threw the runner at third base out. So the Yankees win the game 5-4. to four. And the Yankees' losing streak is over at four straight games as they beat the Kansas City Royals. Wow, what a wild ninth inning. Um, all right, let's regroup here. We'll take a break. Uh, if you want to weigh in on the Barkley thing, 1-800-919-3776. Uh, we'll try to get some postgame reaction from the Yankees, uh, from Aaron Boone. It'll be nice to hear you know, a winning press conference for a change. It's been a while since Yankees fans were able to hear that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we'll get back to the Barkley conversation as well here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, the final two games of the Subway Series. And then you go to first place, Baltimore, for three. And then how about this homestand? Three against Tampa Bay and four against Houston. Talk about the Yankees' two nemesis back-to-back series for an entire week. But they get this win. They move back to four games above 500. Clark Schmidt pitched not his best stuff, but well enough to win. Uh, Yankees slugged three home runs. Franchi Cordero, uh, Glaber Torres, and Billy McKinney's three-run shot was the big blow for the Yankees. we got a couple minutes left, a few minutes left. Uh, want to go back to the Saquon Barkley situation and, and and where it puts Joe Shane right now. I do think Barkley returns by the start of the season. Whether or not he plays in game number one, that remains to be seen. I can't imagine Barkley forfeiting any game checks, which at $10.1 million for 17 games, I think it's probably about $600,000 a game. I mean, Barkley's whole reason for... You know, going down to the deadline and ultimately not even signing uh, the Giants' long-term offer was because this is his last best chance at a big payday. And 
that motivation is completely fair, and I completely understand where Barkley is coming from. I also understand where the Giants are coming from, and that's why the word I continue to use to describe this situation is unfortunate. But if the reports, you know, are accurate, and there's a, you know, some stuff has been reported, numbers and figures, and, and on top of that, reportedly Barkley was unhappy that some numbers and figures had been reported because in his mind, according to what you read, um, it uh, portrayed him as being greedy in this situation, which again, I don't think he was. I think that this is, especially at that position, the way it's valued or devalued in the NFL right now, I think you have to do everything you can to secure as much long-term security as you possibly can. So, According to the reports, Barkley wanted in the neighborhood of nineteen and a half million. The Giants or the Giants offered Barkley nineteen and a half million guaranteed. The Giants uh, from uh, Barkley wanted from the Giants, you know, around twenty-two million dollars guaranteed. I, and to me, that's a two two point three million dollar gap. And I'm I'm very very surprised that they couldn't, you know, not even necessarily go halfway. I'm surprised the Giants didn't go three quarters of the way to Saquon Barkley to make it work. And it just, if this does not work out, and there's a number of ways it cannot work out. First and foremost, the running back position without Barkley on the Giants. Now, I neglected to mention earlier when I was describing what made the Giants so successful last season, superior coaching. Yeah, that was part of it. And you know what Brian Dable's greatest example of superior coaching was? It was giving the ball to Saquon Barkley and making him the centerpiece of his offense. That was the superior coaching. Plain and simple. This guy was the most important player on the field every single time the Giants had the football. And then you take into account all of the other stuff, his long uh, five-year tenure as the face of this franchise ever since he was the second overall pick in 2018. And it's just surprising to me. It's an uh, on, on the one hand, I'm kind of impressed with Joe Shane for digging his heels in and standing up to the most important player in the franchise. But on the other hand, this, in my mind, has the potential to completely backfire on the Giants. If the running back position, the production there is diminished without Barkley or with Barkley taking longer to get into shape, what if Barkley's not at top shape now because he's going to hold out? What if he's not at top shape until week four? And the Giants start off 1-2 and two or 0-3 oh because of that. Your entire season can go down the tubes in a matter of a bad three-game stretch. And is that worth $2.5 million? Now, you also have to think about what this does inside the Giants' locker room. If they don't value Saquon Barkley, who is the best among all of us at what he does, how are they ever going to value me? You know, Barkley is probably the most respected guy in that locker room because of what he does on the field and because of who he is. And I know at the end of the day, you know, it's a sport and it's a game. And when the ball is kicked off at the beginning of the game, you're not thinking about those types of things. But I just think it casts a pall over the franchise as this really important season begins. I mean, the Giants, like the Jets, the Giants are trying to build something because everybody – Every quote-unquote expert is saying this about the Giants this year. Superior coaching, won a lot of close games last year, and took advantage of an easier schedule. This year, with a more difficult schedule, um, 
and the law of averages probably not swinging the Giants' way on all of those close games. The Giants are a lot of the experts' pick to take a step backwards this season. So this is an important season for the Giants because they're really trying to build something where they're a team that goes to the playoffs each and every season. They don't want to be one of these teams that slipped into the playoffs, and I know they did win a playoff game last year, and you can't take that away from them, but then they missed the playoffs the next year because that puts them in a bucket of teams that were you know, the one-hit wonders, and they don't want to do that. They feel they're at the start of building something with this quarterback, with this head coach, with this defensive coordinator, and anything that jeopardizes that, in my mind, such as this Saquon Barkley situation, it just doesn't seem to me that it is worth jeopardizing that for two to two and a half million dollars. It really doesn't. But time will tell. So Joe Shane, we're going to have a pretty clear opinion on Joe Shane depending on how this season plays out. You know, if the Giants don't miss a beat and Joe Shane was right and the running back position in football is valued in this area for a reason, well, then Joe Shane's going to really, really come out of this looking good. But there's also the potential that this completely blows up in his face. I mean, you have to remember, Daniel Jones was fantastic last year, especially the second half of the season. The first half of the season, as he continued to get his bearings, Saquon Barkley a lot of times was like a one-man show out there on offense. No wide receivers, no tight ends, one running back, and an inexperienced quarterback who had yet to prove himself. And Barkley and the defense and some late game, let's be honest, meltdowns by the opposition. I'm thinking of the Tennessee Titans. I'm thinking of the Baltimore Ravens. All of those factors contributed to the Giants getting off to a good start and in turn building the confidence of Daniel Jones. And then the second half of the season, Jones was like a new guy. But none of that happens unless the entire season is jump-started by what Saquon Barkley was able to do. And now you're just taking that guy away. He's gone right now. I guess they think he's going to be back for week one. I think he's going to be back for the start of the season so he can recoup all of his money. But is he going to be the same guy he was last year? And if he's not, and it ends up torpedoing the season, and the Giants take two steps backwards, then Joe Shane is going to have a lot to answer to why he made this decision for two, two and a half million dollars. Remember, we're not talking about a $10 million difference. We're not talking about a $15 million difference. We're talking about two to two and a half million dollars if the reporting throughout this entire process is accurate. Time will tell. All right, some final thoughts on the Yankees as they get back in the win column uh, after this break here on 98.7 ESPN New York. 